Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we do our first ever live online Q&A. We, the host, talked about it and thought it would be a good idea in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the quarantine stuff that's going on for many of us, that this could be a way to get people together, get the Theocast community together online and take some questions and have an encouraging conversation. And there were some wonderful questions submitted. We only got to a few of them, unfortunately. We talked about a number of things, including confessional theology and how that's a help to us in times like now. We considered church discipline, justification and sanctification. And then in the members podcast, we talked about how to preach obedience in light of the sufficiency of Christ. And we also talked some about fear-based preaching. We hope that this conversation and these Q&As that we, that we do are an encouragement to you. Stay tuned. Hey guys, as a quick reminder, if you'd like to join Theocast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books. They're available at Amazon.com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, that's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Brethren, we have met to podcast today, and it is a special day here at Theocast. This is a podcast unlike any other, at least in our experience up to now. We are doing this live in front of a number of our friends and brothers and sisters in the faith. So I don't know about you, I'm feeling a little bit of extra pressure. We uh, don't get to do as much editing as we might normally do right. in a regular right. show. And there is a lot going on on my screen right now. Messages flying in, and yeah, the extrovert in me wants to reply to all of them, and I'm going to fight that desire <laughs> so that we yep. can try to stay on task. That's right. John, why don't you, why don't you brother, help the listeners who are not partaking in this live webinar yeah. thing we've got going on understand what we're doing today? And why we're doing it? Well, um, as everybody already knows, the whole world is feeling the effects of uh, the coronavirus, specifically the majority of our listeners. We do have listeners all over the world, but majority of them here in the United States. And most people are at home with extra time. And so we thought we would participate with them in any way that we can provide more content. Uh, we're also going to open up a lot of the stuff that we have for our membership for free because we, <laughs> we know that people are scouring for good information especially when it seems like most information that is on the internet right now is negative and full of fear. And there is much to be afraid of, but I think at the same time, we need to be feeding ourselves with good information, uh, objective realities that we remind ourselves that we are within uh, the hand of God and can be safe within his hands. Yet at the same time, uh, we use wisdom. So speaking of, we did a podcast. Um, when was that? Yesterday? Um, Tuesday. I was I can't yesterday. Remember. Yep. Time has gone by five. The, we we did a podcast on joy in the midst of suffering, and it's in reference to the coronavirus. So, 
Today, we thought we'd do something different. For those of you that are at home, we thought we'd do something live, use uh, technology, using uh, Zoom. So we have, we're using Zoom webinar. We have uh, almost over 50 people right now that are in here asking questions, all kinds of great comments. And so if you want to ask your question, just to remind you, if you're new, uh, you can come over here into the, on the, at the bottom where it says questions, and you will be able to ask those down there. If you're interested in being uh, on the podcast, on the audio, just let us know by putting, you're willing to ask your question audibly, and we will take that and, and open, open it up and let you answer. So that's kind of where we're at today. We picked three questions that were emailed in to start us off, and then we will grab several of these that are um, being put in at the moment. There is absolutely no way we're going to be able to get to all of these. So we're going to spend about 45 minutes answering your questions, and then we will do, we'll go over to the members podcast and do another 20-ish minutes. Well, you never know how long that podcast will be. It just kind of gets to the point until we're done. Depends Sometimes on how spicy long. the questions are. It's, it's at True. least 15 minutes. And how, <laughs> and how fired up we get, I guess. Well, and if we have anything that we, if we don't get recording right away, we run out of time. So I think we're good today. So Jimmy, why don't you go ahead and start us with our first question? Sure. Glad to do that. So this one comes from Stuart and his question is this, would be interested to hear how confessionalism strengthens us in the middle of this pandemic, which for me, and I'm sure others has brought up much unbelief and doubt that was present, but not stirred up in the heart until trouble came. So that's a great question, Stuart. And actually yesterday, the podcast that we three recorded, we talk about this a little bit, but a great source of comfort that all three of us found actually came from the confession that our church uses, which is the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Chapter 5 talks about divine providence. And uh, in paragraph one of chapter five, I, I won't read it per se, but it talks about the infinite power and wisdom of God that he upholds and directs and governs all things and all creatures. Uh, but specifically, I think what we found in paragraph three was particularly helpful when he said, or when the framers of this confession, when they write, in his ordinary providence, God makes use of means, though he is free to work apart from them, beyond them, and contrary to them at his pleasure. And so as we think about the global pandemic that has really brought the world to its collective knees, uh, it's, it's difficult. And being guys that rely heavily on the ordinary means of grace that God uses, uh, the preaching of the word, the words visible at baptism and the Lord's table to kind of strengthen, create, establish our faith. Uh, it's painful for us as pastors to not be able to gather with our people. And yet we also understand that uh, Justin coined this probably yesterday, where we are in extraordinary times, God will also give us extraordinary grace. And so we, we rest in those things. And so you have confessionalism kind of at a paper level, but you also have confessionalism kind of at a 30,000-foot level that the truths that we have constantly harped on in this podcast, that, that we find rest in Christ outside of ourselves, that what God has given us in Christ, in the gospel, 
uh, perfect righteousness imputed to us through no effort or merit on our own, those things even remain true in the midst of a pandemic. So even when things are going well, when you are able to attend the gathered worship with the saints, that you are able to have the word of God preached over you, you see the gospel in the table, uh, even when you quote unquote feel good uh, and you're able to function in your everyday life in a normal sense, uh, those things are true. But but even now, when we're kind of sheltered in place, when it's very easy to be discouraged, to feel lonely, to feel isolated, and, and to feel socially distant from people, those objective truths of the imputed righteousness of Christ to your account, they're still there. They didn't go anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I just think of, you know, places in Scripture like Psalm 13, where the psalmist cries out to God. Uh, he asks God for help and for faith, but he recounts the faithfulness of the Lord in the past. And this is something that I shared with my church last Sunday over Facebook Live, that, you know, we rest in the truths that God is not distant, that Jesus is not distant from sin and death, but rather he was crucified, he was buried with sin and death, and he rose again, defeated them both. And so, I mean, just to encourage you, I mean, I don't know where you specifically are, uh, but but just to encourage you that the truths that you fight to believe, that God is for you in Christ, that he has from eternity past chose you to be his own, those truths are still there in a time of pandemic. I don't know if couple of you guys want to jump in on that topic as well. I'll jump in really quick, Jimmy. I, I think to be confessional, it might help to state this clearly, to be confessional certainly does mean that we hold to a confession of faith. And for, for all of us, it's a confession of faith out of the, the era of the Reformation or the era that flowed out of the Reformation in the case of like the 1689 or the Westminster Confession, for example. But it also means that we are we are confessing, right? We are saying together, believing together, we are looking to doctrines and truths from Scripture that we are to rest in and trust. And so two words that we often use on Theocast to describe the confessional perspective are that it is an objective perspective. It is an outside-of-us reality. So as Jimmy just alluded to, we're looking to Christ, who is outside of us. We're looking to God, who is outside of us. We're looking to these great truths and promises of God that exist outside of us in our experience. And then also the other thing is that to be confessional is to believe in and and hold to declarative realities, meaning that they're done, they're finished. And so when we're looking to things and trusting in things that are outside of us and that are completed, they're finished and they're not in jeopardy, those things transcend all circumstances and they transcend all of our emotional volatility. It matters not how I'm feeling today or how I'm processing the COVID-19 pandemic today. The truths of God remain. And as Jimmy just said, the righteousness of Christ for me remains. The atoning, satisfying work of Christ for me remains. My safety in Christ, my standing before God, all of those things are rock solid because they're objective outside of me, and they're declarative. They're done. Mm -hmm. And so that's how a confessional perspective gives us rock under our feet when, as as we sing in, in the hymn, when all around my soul gives way, right? Like, he then is all my hope and stay. Well, that's that's a confessional perspective. 
That's right. That we are we are looking to those things in particular. We're looking to God in Christ Jesus for us in the midst of all kinds of storms and things that are swirling around in our lives. All right, J- uh, Justin, you want me? I don't have much to add to that. That was excellent, guys. <laughs> I'm going to actually find Marissa here. Here she is. Marissa, hopefully you're ready. We're going to bring you on and let you ask your ready question. Or not. Marissa, uh, please state your first and last name and where you're from. So I'm Marissa Namir. I live on the Theocast group in Facebook world. <laughs> no, technically I live in Georgia. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're a little bit on lockdown, but anyway, I'll ask my question. <laughs> yeah. First of Absolutely. all, I just want to thank you guys for what you do. You bring a lot of comfort to God's people. Whether we're in a pandemic or not, you're always bringing us to the gospel. So I appreciate that. Um, Absolutely welcome. So I just wondered if you would talk a little bit about church discipline. At what point? At what point um, would you say that this is a pattern and not a struggle? And at what mm-hmm. point would you say that a Christian should be uh, under church discipline or excommunicated from the church? That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good question. And I want to publicly thank you. For those of you that may not know, she is one of the admins on our Facebook group and absolutely crushes it. And uh, she catches things when I don't even see them coming. So thank you so much for that. (laughs) All right. Yes, thanks. Um, Guys, that is a that is a really good question. Yeah, Um, I think that when you're dealing First of all, I know every guy is going to say that church discipline has to be dealt with patiently, and it is a very long process. Yeah, because I have personally seen cases where we confront a man who is openly in sin, admits that he's openly in sin. He's even sat down with the elders and says, "I do not want to repent. I am going to pursue this." And we could have at that moment just done church discipline, but we said, look, we're going to pray for you. We're going to give you time. And sure enough, uh, we, we gave him a month. We prayed for him and no change, gave him another month, tried to meet with him individually and praise God on month three, he repented. And he, you know, we didn't, we, we didn't have to go to that final step and bring it to the congregation. Now, unfortunately I've been in situations where, the exact opposite is true. And you do that same process. And I, I think the difference of it is if someone is unwilling to acknowledge that they are trapped in sin and unwilling to repent after multiple times of being gracious to pray with them, confront them, show them from Scripture, I think if you've encountered it and they are obviously being self-destructive in their sin— that's publicly well known that everyone around them can see that this is the case. And you, I think you have to have that conversation with them. Do you understand that what you are doing is so damaging to yourself and to your faith and that it's it's destructive in nature that the best thing for you is to understand how serious this is, that we're going to have to one, remove you from the table. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's step one. And, then after that, if you still aren't willing to repent, then we're we're going to need to remove you from fellowship so that you understand the seriousness of this. This should never be out of anger, out of judgmentalism, out of how dare you. 
because as Galatians 6, 1 says that when we confront someone in sin, we should be careful that we too ourselves don't fall into sin. Uh, that's how I would initially, I know that both you guys have thoughts on this. So that's how I initially, I think if you look at it from scripture, you have to look at uh, comparing everything there is about church discipline along with Galatians 6, 1, you will see that this is a long, painstaking, gracious time that it should not be done quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would add to that, um, you know, one of the clearest places that we see in scripture where church discipline takes place is in first Corinthians chapter five. And, you know, that's, that's an extraordinary case where you have a man in the church who is committing a, a heinous sin. In that case, it was sexual immorality. But, but what you see is that it was like this flippant, I don't care about what I'm doing. I don't care about who I'm hurting. And so what you have is Paul, the, the apostle, also the planter of that church, coming in and telling the elders, the overseers of that church, to, to discipline that, that man, to remove him from the midst of the church because of the damage, not only that it's going to cause him personally, but it's also going to cause the greater church. And so like John said, each, each case has to be handled with extreme care. Uh, there's, I don't think that there's going to be a, a single answer for every case. Uh, but, but once you start to see like kind of this high handed flippant rejoicing in my sin rather than repenting of it and turning to Christ, uh, I think that's when the elders of the church have to step in, not only for the soul of that individual, but also for the care of the larger flock of sheep that sin spreads like poison. Um, and, and when people begin in the Corinthian case, they were even openly celebrating this guy's sin. Uh, and, and that's what Paul's great concern was there. Now, I, I think that one of the, maybe perhaps to put the question in somebody's mouth is, you know, what about the person who kind of has that, that damaged conscience where they, they feel like, well, I'm always in, I'm always in sin. And, and there is a difference between somebody who struggles with their own frame in a Romans 7 sense. You know, somebody that's struggling with, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. You know, who, who will save me from this? You know, I mean, because certainly we're all there. We all, we all, church discipline is not about, you know, who's, who's crushing it in the Christian life. But church discipline is about more so the individual, the person who is by their actions going to destroy or bring harm to the body. Uh, JP, I think you wanted to say a few things as well. Sure. To pick up on 1 Corinthians 5 that you mentioned, Jimmy, I do think that's the clearest passage that we can go to. Jesus obviously has some words about this in Matthew chapter 18 that are helpful for us as well. The reason that Paul rebukes the church in Corinth, I mean, and I think he's rebuking all of them, Absolutely. to Jimmy's point, and to to kind of expound on that up for just a moment, is the fact that they should have been grieved by this man's sin, but instead, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, but instead you are arrogant. Like they are in one sense seeing this as an appropriate expression of Christian freedom, and they are boasting in in what this man is doing rather than being grieved and seeing that this sin would not only destroy this man— but it could it could bring harm upon the entire church 
and needed to be dealt with. And Paul is very clear in the context of 1 Corinthians 5 that the goal of church discipline is restoration. Absolutely. So I think we, we all need to approach church discipline with that in view. This is not a blunt instrument to be wielded around right. this kind of, to like bludgeon people with, right? Like we right. want to be very precise in how we do this. We want to be gracious. We want to be careful. And we want to make sure that the point of it all, and we communicate this to the church as we try to lead the church through it, is to see this individual restored mm-hmm. and to see this individual flourish you know, in, in Christ. And so I do think that the big difference between, to Marissa's question maybe pointedly, at what point is this not like a struggling sinner anymore, like the Romans 7 reality, the Galatians 5, 17 reality? When, when does this become a case where church discipline is necessary? So I do think the sin needs to be clear. It needs to be demonstrable. But then I, to use the, some of the language Jimmy used, I wrote these same things down on my whiteboard here. It's a kind of high-handed sin. It's yeah. hard-hearted, and it's unrepentant. And so what that means is an individual is in sin and, and will say, well, one of two or three things. Well, yeah, I'm sinning, and I just don't care. I realize it's sin, not bothering me, not worried about it. Who are you to tell me how to live? I'm going to continue doing what I want to do. Don't care. Or it might be a posture like this. Yeah, God's word seems pretty clear that this is sin, and, and I understand that the, the teaching of our church and the teaching of our pastors is that this is sin, but I don't think it's sin, and so I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, you know, that's also a high-handed approach, and and also just this kind of ongoing unrepentant posture over the course of not like days or weeks, but we're talking like months and months, where it's just obvious that this kind of hard-hearted posture is is enduring, and then I, I think that's just very different than the person who is grieved and bothered by his or her sin. Now, none of us are ever grieved as we should be. We, we're never sure. bothered as much as we should be. But there is something in us as redeemed people, and because we have the Spirit, and it's, it's our inner man, we're bothered by our sin. And so there's this constant cycle that we're on, like where we do transgress you know, what God says is good. We sin, and then we, we acknowledge it, we own it, and we repent. Yeah. And we, yeah. we cast ourselves anew, in one sense, upon the mercy of God in Christ in submission even to the doctrine and teaching of the church. And so I think that's, that's the easiest way that I know to answer this. Um, yeah. And it's something that I know we've practiced in our context, and it's hard. And I know you, you brothers, I know, John, you have, and Jimmy, I trust you will, you know, in, in your church. And it's always very sober and heavy. And it's something that, uh, that the Lord does, though, use for good in the life of the, of the church and in the lives of the saints. Right. Um, even of those of us who are not being disciplined at the time. It's a, it's a sobering reality where we're all like, man, if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. Right. And Lord, may that never be me. And, and we're praying for our brother or sister that he or she would be restored. Anyway, yeah. it's, a good, it's a great question. That, excellent yeah, question. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm happy to, to tee one up now, John, um, on, on just yeah, the, Hebrews 10, the Hebrews 10 question would be good. great. So this question comes from Andrew. His question is this. How do you see Hebrews 10.25 in its immediate context of persecution being honored in the face of the present pandemic that persecutes the church, as well as the decree that has gone out in the land to not gather? So, Andrew, thank you for your question. Hebrews 10.25 is, is the verse that says we are not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. And I, I know we've talked about this in my own local church context, and the guys, we've talked about it sort of off the mic on, on Theocast. Uh, it's not gone out on the air or anything. 
I know my own understanding of Hebrews 25 would, would not be so much a, a situation where we are providentially hindered from gathering that's being described, but it would be the willful neglect of the corporate assembly. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is warning people against. Like It will not go well for you if you willfully neglect assembling together because this is how God has meant to work in your life ordinarily. So this brings us back to something that Jimmy mentioned already. We understand that these are exceptional times where the government of our land is not uniquely singling out churches. It'd be one thing if the government had said, well, continue going to theaters and bars and clubs and doing everything you normally do, but don't go to church. That would be very different than what the government is doing in most of our locales in our states where it's a broad sweeping thing where they're requesting or advising or mandating that we not gather in groups larger than 10 or 50 or whatever. And so the way that that we are approaching this in my church, and I know these brothers behind the mic agree here, is that out of an interest to submit to our government in something that is reasonable in light of a passage like Romans 13, and also in the interest of loving neighbor and trying to help play our part in promoting public health, we, we have foregone gathering together for a season of time. So we understand these are exceptional times. This is a, just for context, some may be aware of this. In terms of peacetime, this is the first time in 102 years that the, any government agency in the United States has asked people not to gather like this. The last time this happened was in 1918 with the Spanish flu pandemic. So this is a once in a century kind of thing. So these are exceptional times under the providence of God. And what we are trusting is, as I said on the podcast yesterday that'll come out at some point, is that when in these exceptional times, when we are being kept from the ordinary means, we trust that God will give extraordinary grace. And so we, we trust him to do that in these times that are exceptional. And so we do not understand churches to be violating Hebrews 10.25 in this really unusual season where we're providentially hindered from gathering. Now, it'll be different, you know, if when things open back up and and all of that, and we're back to normal life, if people are neglecting the assembly then, we would understand them to be in violation of Hebrews 10.25, and we would be encouraging and pleading with those people, you need to be with the saints on the Lord's Day. Yeah. And I would say we answer that question and a very long answer next week. We're going to move all of our podcasts back, and we'll put out the, the one that we did yeah. yesterday out next week. So. Exactly. So what John is saying is that the, the COVID-19 conversation we had yesterday will will go live next Wednesday, so you'll be able to hear it then. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Awesome. Jimmy, did you have another one? Yeah. Um, like another question, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there are I only wanted, a few. I wanted to take this one, right? I want to take this one from Jonathan. 
He says, what advice would you give pastors who are church planting when they feel discouraged about new people not coming to church or when the pastors feel incompetent because of a struggle with sin? And so first, I'm going to yell at Jonathan for reading my mail. And uh, second, so uh, Jonathan, I mean, honestly, you're, you're speaking to me because, you know, we as as Christ Community Church, we John was just here in December and kind of officially launched launched us. And I mean, I'll just be frank with you: we launched with uh, six families, and we've added a family since then. Uh, so, I mean, just realize that where we are in our culture, uh, it's no longer a, a place that you go to church in order to kind of conduct business as it used to be. It's not like a socially driven thing. Um, but also what us three guys have kind of had offline conversations all, all about this, about church planting, things like that. And one of the things we continually circle back to is that it's it's very easy to become kind of slave to the tyranny of the urgent, that you're always counting numbers on a Sunday morning a given Sunday morning and feeling like, are we doing something wrong that we're not growing exponentially? And frankly, I had to make a conscious decision to not really read much that is out there regarding church planting right now, because there's all sorts of nonsense out there that give you unrealistic metrics and goals and different things where honestly, you have to kind of know your context, the the neighborhood or the city or the place where you are planting a church. And so for our context, you know, Wilmer, Minnesota is the city of Wilmer, according to the last census, I'll be curious about this census, is only 20,000. And so we're not going to see this explosive growth that you might see in a suburb uh, where, you know, a lot of people are moving and perhaps they, you know, they're interested in these kinds of things, being part of a church. And so, I mean, honestly, I would, I would say don't be discouraged in the short term but rather be faithful with the sheep that God has has given you. Love them, give them Christ, show them Jesus. And and frankly, you I mean you trust God for the growth. You know, I mean this is 1 Corinthians, you know, chapter 3. I mean, who are who are you? Um, you know, you you water and you plant and and God gives growth. And so we trust God that as we as we you know, faithfully do the ordinary means of grace that uh, that we feed people, we show them Jesus, that naturally those people will want to show other people Jesus. And so there, I think there's a, a deep call to patience, and I'm really preaching to myself right now. And then I think the second part of your question is, is really good. It's a re- really excellent question of when pastors feel incompetent because of a struggle with sin. Brother, that is a daily reality for me, um, that you read some of the things uh, in the New Testament, and you just you struggle with the fact that you sin and you blow it and you blow it a lot and and so I think being aware of your own weakness of your own failures of your own shortcomings is actually very helpful because it kind of brings you down of your own pedestal as the pastor to feel high and above other people but you know as as Luther so famously said that we as pastors, we we are beggars who found bread and we are showing other people where they can find bread too. You know, that that certainly we are not we're not calling for 
a, lax, a lackadaisical approach to, to character and to godly character in, in the life of the pastor. But at the same time, what we are saying is, you know, who, who preaches grace the best other than those who have seen the wickedness of their own heart, but also the depth of God's grace as given to us in Christ Jesus? So, Jimmy, did that couple of comments. One, I think the most effective preachers are the guys who are most in touch with the depth of their own corruption. Hmm. Because, I mean, so yeah, we all battle sin all the time. And I, and I think when that battle with sin is on our minds and hearts and we're, we are constantly having to look outside of ourselves to Christ for righteousness, then that, that fuels gospel preaching in the pulpit because we're, we're holding out to sinners the only hope that we know we have. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it's a good thing. One other thought too: I, all of us have planted churches, and you deal with very small numbers early on, and and growth sometimes can be slow. It's always slower than we want it to be, and sometimes pastoring a small church can be can be its own unique kind of challenge. And some of that is in our own consciences and our egos and everything else. And there's a quote from from a a pastor named John Brown. This is back in Scotland in like 17, 1800s. And he's writing to a young minister in his area. And he's writing to this young man. And he says, I know, this is a paraphrase. I say, I know that you are mortified and are self-conscious about the small number of your congregation. But I promise you that on the day when you stand before the Lord, you will know that you've had enough. Meaning there is so much responsibility and weight in pastoring even a few dozen people. Absolutely. Like we, we ought not confuse what in the world we're doing and be so caught up in numbers and size and metrics and everything else. Yeah. And I mean, so, that's great. yeah, we want our churches to grow. We want to see people come to faith. We want to see people grow in the faith and, and grow in their knowledge and understanding and, and in, even in their resting in Jesus. Uh, but there's a lot, a lot more to it than just how big our churches are. Yeah. And if I, if I could just kind of chime back in, you know, something that people ask, me all the time. And this is kind of the struggle of a church planter is, oh, are you guys exploding? Are you growing like crazy? And something I just constantly have to be mindful of is, man, what if, what if we doubled in a Sunday? What if we doubled in a week? Uh, the amount of pressure and stress that that would bring me that it's like, well, man, now, now we, we've moved from you know 30 on a Sunday to 60 on a Sunday. And who's going to reach those people? Who's going to love those people? Who's going to care for those people? And so we have, I have consciously made an effort in our church plant and voiced this to our people that we want to pray for slow and steady growth, that we don't want to go from 30 to a 180 in six months, because that's going to bring all sorts of pains and problems. One of them probably being pride and ego. And so we just want to be sensitive to the people that are in our midst, the children that are in our midst. We want to love them, serve them, care for them well. Because if we are just aiming for growth, if we're just aiming for numbers and new people come into our midst, they're going to smell that right away, that they're going to start to feel like projects and not people. They're going to start to feel like numbers and not sheep. And so we want to practice loving and serving and caring for one another well, even as a small church, so that Lord willing, by his grace, when we grow, we can easily envelop new people into the fold where we can show them Christ very easily. Yeah. And if, if you establish that kind of a culture, that culture will grow with you. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 And just before we jump to the next question, I'll just add that 
the most encouraging thing you can do for your people is to help them learn to love neighbor. And in doing that, they will, they will find joy. Cause if you're, if the ambition of the church or the mission of the church is to, to, to see what the numerical growth can be, uh, you will never feel a sense of community. You're always going to be looking and being disappointed. But if the mission of the church is to care and love for each other, understand that God uses the affections mm-hmm. of each other to draw people into it, and then mm-hmm. help your church to find ways to love neighbor that's next to them. They're, and that is their literal neighbors, people at work, uh, people they associate at the soccer field or whatever, then they feel like they are doing ministry, that they are reaching out. Uh, because it, it all depends. I was talking with a pastor this week who lives in uh, North Dakota, a town of 400. Wow. And his church is 50, which if you do the math on that, that's, my church that's is... That's quite a ratio. <laughs> that's quite yeah. a ratio of the town. It's fantastic. Yeah. And so, you know, you have, to, you have to understand your circumstances, but most importantly, what is the mission of the church? And of course, it is to find as many people as we possibly can to care for them and bring them into rest. But ultimately, that's in God's court. That's up to him right. who he saves sovereignly. Yeah. So. Right. Exactly. And God gives the growth. And we yeah. all believe that. Yeah. And, and to, to Jonathan, again, I trust, I mean, I just read this before we got on in 1 Timothy 1, that in verse 15, when Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, this is a saying that you should know it's trustworthy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. And so, I mean, I don't think Paul was just kind of giving false humility. Like he was so intimately aware of his own sin, his own failures, his own brokenness. And so like, as you wake up every morning and you feel that, man, just trust that Christ who you preach is enough for your people is also enough for you, man. Um, and so we all need that. And that first Timothy one, 15 and 16 Paul says, I am the foremost of sinners, not I was. And I, right. like you, I trust he's not blowing smoke or just trying to make a point. And then in verse 16, he says that Christ has been so patient with me. You know, he, he has dealt with me this way so that he might display his patience and grace to all the saints, to all who believe. And yeah. so even if, if we're models of something as pastors, it should always start there. And we're modeling the fact that we are wretches who have been dealt with mercifully and patiently by, you know, by Christ. Yeah. And we are now you know, displaying that to all the saints who are looking on, yeah. you know, and it's like, Hey, come partake of this, yeah. right? Because Christ is merciful and patient and gracious yeah. with sinners, even like me, and he will be with you, you know, Jonathan, if I could give you a resource, uh, there's a fantastic little book you can buy it on Kindle. I think there's paper copy to paper copies as well. It's called one point preaching a law and gospel perspective. It's by Sean Lazar. I think I'm saying his last name, correct. Uh, excellent on how, you as a pastor can communicate uh, your own sin in a way that's helpful in pointing others to Christ. So One Point Preaching, you can find it on Amazon. Great little resource. Check it out. All right. Um, we ready for another one? Justin, did you have one? I mean, or do you want I, me to yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely do it. Yeah, I can do it. And yeah, go for it. Just, I see a comment from, from Kern. Our man Kern asked if we would do a podcast on church planning or a podcast for pastors who have started churches. And that is something we've talked about doing. <laughs> yeah. We're, and, uh, we are saving our ammo we, for that one. Cause we've, we've we, got a lot we of do, We do intend, we may even do a series of podcasts on church planning. We'll see. So that, that yeah, is, coming. I actually, uh, yeah. I got to meet Kern a couple months ago, he and his wife. I know that was, it was I great know. to meet them. So anyways, so I'm going to take you, a man. question from, from Edward. 
And this is, it's a long question, but it's on justification and sanctification. But I think we can answer this pointedly and, and I think relatively briefly in a way that I hope is helpful. So he's, he's acknowledging you know, the, the differences, like there is a distinction between justification and sanctification, and we're looking you know, outside of ourselves for Christ, you know, for, to Christ for righteousness and all those things. And he asks this, I'm kind of summarizing and getting to the bottom part of the question. He says, but while we are justified and thereby saved, we are still sinners, right? With simul justus et peccator, we all agree. If so, then is it correct to suggest that in the course of the justification event, we are also infused with just a bit of righteousness that wasn't there before? That is an inherent righteousness. My pastor was adamant that this is so, but I thought that our inherent goodness only comes by grace post-justification during sanctification. And he says, this really is a question. All right, so I'm going to start answering that question by going to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, and the Westminster would have the same language. This is chapter 11, paragraph 1 on justification. So the answer to that question is, is there any righteousness infused into us in the event of justification? The answer is no. And here we go. Those God effectually calls, he also freely justifies. He does this not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting them as righteous. He does this for Christ's sake alone and not for anything produced in them or done by them. He does not impute faith itself, the act of believing, or any other gospel obedience to them as their righteousness. Instead, he imputes Christ's active obedience to the whole law and passive obedience in his death as their whole and only righteousness by faith. This faith is not self-generated. It is the gift of God. It's one of my favorite paragraphs in the entire confession, mm-hmm. and it's, it's wonderful. It's very clear. It's very biblical that no, no, no righteousness is infused into us in the justification piece. It is completely the righteousness of Christ that is counted to us by faith. And I love the language that the righteousness of Christ is our whole and only righteousness, and it is by faith. And so, of course, upon conversion— we are indwelt by God's Spirit, and the sanctification process begins where God, and I just want to be very clear, God sanctifies us. So if we were going to have that conversation about monergism, one worker, or synergism, two workers, and sanctification, the three guys behind these microphones are all monergistic in our understanding of sanctification, that God does yeah. that work. We participate in our sanctification just like we participate in life by being alive, but God does it. So we are being transformed and conformed in the image of Christ as we are sanctified. But in terms of our, our righteousness that would, that would get us heaven, it is only the righteousness of Christ always. And it's not, we are not justified by having righteousness like infused into us in any way by God. It's the righteousness of Jesus, and that's it. He like, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's, that's our song, and that's our confession. That's right. I hope that's helpful. Super Preach, helpful brother. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just give an invitation right now. Yeah. Pent. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's, that's, that's super helpful. Um, let's go ahead and grab another one. I know we're running out of time here. There was one here by uh, Miranda, and she asks on Facebook, First Kings, Eight thirty-seven through 40 keeps going around with fires, earthquakes, and coronavirus going around is our punishment for being sinful, and that if we turn to God and pray, these punishments will end. 
do you re- how do you respond to these people to say this is true? And I believe we got a, another one that was similar to that from John. Yes, John Richards also asked this, uh, which is that if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. Uh, well, I can tell you two things. First of all, we will give a, fur- a longer answer to this again next week in the podcast. But uh, yes, this this uh, everything that happens is according to God's plan. And so there's nothing that happens outside the will of the plan of God. God is not a reactionary God, but God is a sovereign God. That being said, no, those specific verses are written to a people that were in covenant with God. And God was trying to warn them that they are going outside covenant, outside of the promises that they have made between him and Israel. And so those do not apply. And I don't even think on a secondary or a tertiary issue, I don't think you can apply those at all to the United States or any country in general, because those promises were made to a specific people for a specific purpose. So if someone's using that saying that, you know, whatever is it that they think is morality or if more people go to church or if they stop doing some kind of sexual sins or who, who, whatever it is that they think America needs to do, I don't believe that that's what's going to remove the coronavirus or earthquakes or anything else. But that would be my initial answer, mostly because you have to understand context, redemptive historic understanding of Scripture. The, and we even mentioned this in our podcast that came out, what is today, Thursday, yesterday, that uh, in Proverbs, understanding who context is and who is applied to. So I don't know if you guys have sure. anything that you want to add yeah, to I, that or we want to grab Jimmy, go ahead or I'm question. happy to say. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what I was what I was going to say is there's all sorts of nonsense just being flying out right now from, you know, Christian social media. And I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't even bring myself to listen to Christian radio anymore. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But I mean, honestly, I, I as we think about, I mean, just different pandemics, it, it's it's interesting that people would take that view. You know, if my people would pray, and they, you know, when they want to throw these verses out, when it's like, well, I mean, if if you want to do that reality, I mean, you, why are why are we not posting that sort of thing each and every day of each and every month of each and every year? Because if it's not coronavirus, it's going to be an earthquake, and if it's not an earthquake, it's going to be a hurricane, and if it's not a hurricane, it's going to be this or that or whatever other thing. And, and certainly, you know, on a, on a top level, on an objective level, I mean, we want to be, as a church, a people of prayer, that we want to pray and we want to ask. I, I know I have. I know I have prayed uh, daily that God would, would heal this globe, that he would show us his common grace in, in giving doctors and people who develop vaccines and people who develop treatments wisdom as, they, as we try to globally fight this pandemic. I mean, nobody should be rejoicing in this pandemic. I mean, nobody should be taking advantage of this pandemic and saying, well, see, you know, it's because we have this kind of people in our nation and this kind of people in our nation. It's like, man, get that nonsense out of here. Like, I can't even hear you right now. I can't even listen to that stuff. Because, I mean, here's here's the thing. It's like, this is what I shared with my high school students in a devotional. I said, your greatest problem is not a pandemic. Your greatest issue is not getting the flu or getting coronavirus. Your greatest issue is waking up and looking at yourself in the mirror and realizing that you're a sin-sick wretch and you're in need of Christ. And so if coronavirus is the thing that helps you realize that, well, then praise the Lord. But, I mean, at the same time, it could be anything. 
And if it's not coronavirus, it's going to be something else. And so, yes, we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for all of the nations. We want to pray for the world. But at the same time, like, let's not go out banging our Bibles on our chest and telling people to repent as they're trying to buy toilet paper at Walmart. I mean, that's just got to, that's not going to do any good. Uh, rather, like, we should be the constant voice of hope in Christ throughout all pandemics and all peacetime. It doesn't really matter, but JP, you go ahead. Sure, man. You touch his microphone right now and you might get burned. Yeah, that's (laughs) We need the fire emoji. So I've gotten this question from people in in my own church in the last week or two and and from other people that I've like that I've run into at even like the CrossFit box before it got shut down. And like people are like, is this the judgment of God? You know, the this COVID nineteen pandemic. And and my answer in short is, well, no. Not directly. We, we yeah. can't make that statement. So this this is where I would go. I, I mean, we can say that any kind of sickness, death, suffering, horror is all the result of sin. Yeah. And by that, I mean sin is a condition in the curse. Right. Genesis 3, the fall. Genesis 3 world. Now, correct. We, we have to be very careful to draw straight lines from particular sins to particular judgment. Yeah. We are told like when we read scripture, the only time we can do that in my opinion and stand on solid footing is when God has revealed it to us in the Bible. Yeah. So God did give us a commentary on redemptive history and how he dealt with Israel. It's called the prophets. And so he did tell us specifically at points, I am acting this way because of this transgression. So we can state that, but then we need to be really careful to not extrapolate that that was uniquely situated you know, with God's covenant people in Israel, extrapolate that now to America, you know, in the year 2020. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is briefly, John, I know we got to shut this part down and move to the members podcast. I, I take my cue from Jesus on this. I'm, I'm mindful of Christ's words in Luke 13, the first yeah. few verses of that chapter where he is talking to a Jewish audience and he says, do you know about, you've heard about the Galileans who Pilate slaughtered, right? And mixed their blood with the sacrifices. Do you think that they were any worse than you? And he says, no, if you don't repent, you'll likewise perish. He goes on to say, or what about those 18 people that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed them? Do you think that they were worse than you? No, they weren't. Truly, I tell you, no, if you don't repent, you'll likewise perish. Or there's John chapter nine, the first three verses where Jesus and his disciples come upon a blind man. And the disciples ask the question, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Christ says, well, it's actually, the answer is C, none of the above, neither of them send it so the works of God might be displayed. The point is we need to be very careful to, to draw those kinds of straight lines in terms of cause and effect. And what it should do for all of us is to Jimmy's point is it demonstrates to all of us the frailty of life, the reality of suffering and points us to our need for Christ. And it should cause us to long for the new heaven and the new earth That's right. in that regard. Last word, very quickly, Hebrews 11. <laughs> Hebrews 11 is filled with people who are commended for faith. We are told in the latter part of that chapter that some of them were conquerors by through faith. They conquered and were delivered and all these things. But then we're also told that some of them through faith were, were killed and they were sawn in two. And it was clear that God had purposes in both the conquering and in the death and the suffering. And so that we can take confidence in that God will always do what he means to do. And, and we are called to trust him. And so we just need to be very careful about about overstepping and and really just kind of speculating, but doing that with the kind of thus saith the Lord stamp on it. We do all kinds of bad 
when we start to go those directions. All right, I'm stopping, John. Yeah. Thank you for letting me talk. He got it. <laughs> well, 15 minutes, I think, is good. So if you want to want to take us over to our members podcast, we'll uh, keep answering questions. There's no way we're going to get to them all, but we're going to try. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we need to do a, an actual shutdown of this first podcast. So That's we're going right. to do that now. This is uh, a little bit behind the curtain. Thank you for listening to Theocast. We appreciate, especially all the great questions that we've received. We're sorry that we have not been able to get to, but just a few of them. We could talk about this stuff for hours. We are now headed, the three of us, over to our members podcast. And if you don't even know what that is, you can go to our website, theocast.org, and learn more information about our total access membership. We still offer a 14-day free trial on that membership, so you can kick the tires and get used to what all that contains. It does include, amongst other content, this additional podcast that we release weekly for our membership. So we hope to see you over there. We're headed there momentarily. We will talk with you again next week.